Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast for the Wilmington, Ohio Church of Christ. We pray that this message will inspire you and help you grow closer to God in your faith. Be sure to stick around after the message to find out more about how you can take your next best step. Enjoy the message. So this past Christmas, I was excited to receive a classic CD player. Um, Just like many of the people growing up in my generation, we collected so many albums. I literally have hundreds of albums just collecting dust on the shelf. So I'm excited to be able to pull those out and listen to them. And of course, I do enjoy being spoiled by things like Spotify, Apple Music. But I don't know about you, there's just something so nostalgic about pulling out your old albums and just listening to those. It just takes you back in time. Well, this is one of my favorite albums growing up that I kept on repeat. It's by a band called Hawk Nelson. Hawk Nelson was a Christian band growing up in the early uh, to mid-2000s. They were pretty popular. And I absolutely loved listening to their music. But unfortunately, a few years ago, the front man of Hawk Nelson, John Steingard, he came out on social media and stated that over the past several months, he had been going through a process deconstructing his faith. He began to question God. He began to question the teachings of the church, the authority of scripture. And as a result of this, when it came down to this, he believed that Christianity was now false and that if you want to know meaning, you have to discover that for yourself by chasing after your own desires. It's absolutely heartbreaking. I mean, this guy's music had quite the impact on me growing up. But the truth is, he is just one of thousands who have gone through this process called deconstruction, and they have walked away from the faith. Every time I hear this story, it makes me think of a a passage of scripture that Paul sent to Timothy in one of his letters. I'm going to read that for us. This is 2 Timothy chapter 4, starting in verse 2. Paul says to Timothy, preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Listen to this. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from truth and turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all situations, endure hardships. Do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. Church, what Paul is saying to Timothy here, don't we see that in our culture today? This process of deconstruction, I was talking to some of you before service, and it seemed like half of you, this is the first time you're ever hearing about this. Uh, maybe you've seen the promo we put out, and you're like, what in the world is deconstruction? Some of you, yes, you're like, yes, I, I know about that. You know someone who has gone through that. Or maybe this, this is something you've gone through yourself. But this has brought up several questions that have been asked. And so today, we're going to kind of look at our message in three different sections, First, we're going to look at the questions based around what is deconstruction and how is it impacting Christianity? Then we will look at what are some of the issues that are causing people to deconstruct their faith, to question the doctrines. 
And then we will look at what is a biblical response. And so as we begin to dive into this day, today, if you're a note taker, I encourage you to take notes. You're not going to offend anyone by taking notes, typing notes, or taking pictures of whatever's on the screen. I encourage that. But as we dive into this, I'm going to ask that you please extend me grace as I begin to um, unpack what is a very difficult subject. Because I'm not going to be able to answer every question regarding this. I'm not going to be able to explore every avenue regarding deconstructing faith. My goal for today is to help present us with a framework of understanding to start to see this subject from God's perspective through the lens of a biblical worldview. This is so important because when we talk about these, su- these subjects, these trending matters, it's important to know what lens you are looking at them through. Because often you're going to look at them through a worldview or a biblical worldview. What is a worldview? A worldview is the system of beliefs and values that frame out our understanding of the world and what it looks like to live in it. It's, it's this idea of all these It's a combination of all these ideas coming together. These ideas are often influenced by whatever is happening right now in culture. It's a combination of all these ideas coming together to help shape how we view the world. Now, a biblical worldview, a biblical worldview is seeing the world through God's perspective as revealed in Scripture. As disciples of Christ, we want to see the world from God's perspective, and how we do that is revealed in Scripture. If if we want to develop a biblical worldview, this means that we are going to have and hold a system of beliefs and values that align with the Word of God. Now, someone asked, how do you develop a biblical worldview? We don't have time to tackle all that today, but... We do, we, we will, sometime over the next week, we will release the video kind of diving deeper into how to develop a biblical worldview. But why do we want to develop a biblical worldview? Because culture is constantly changing, which means worldviews constantly change. However, a biblical worldview will never change because the word of God never changes. Amen. So what is Deconstruction. What is this idea of deconstruction? Now, deconstruction has many different terms depending upon what context it is being used in. There is a technical term that is used in academic circles. There are secular and cultural meanings to the word. There are at least four different meanings to this term deconstruction when used in Christian context. But first, we're going to start with the academic side of things since that is ground zero for the term. In the 1960s, there was a French philosopher by the name of Jacques Derrida, who he advocated for a postmodern philosophy of language and its relationship to the idea of meaning. He called this deconstruction. So Derrida's fundamental assumption was that humans have developed the capacity to impose psychological constructs of meaning upon their world as coping mechanisms. In other words, what he's saying is that they created meaning where there was no meaning to, to begin with. They simply just used this as a coping mechanism to deal with difficult times in life. Whether they're dealing with sickness, health, hunger, um, um, death, or just whatever is going on, they created meaning where there was no meaning to begin with. It was just a coping mechanism. So Derrida would also say that there is no meaning that comes from God. 
He would also say that there is no such thing as absolute truth. Derrida would also say that any ancient writing, whether it's the Bible or some other religious book, whatever that ancient writing would be, he would say that the writer was just simply giving their idea of what is true based on what they were going through at that moment in time. Based on their cultural, political, religious, environmental, experiential influences. So in order to know and understand the ancient writing, you had to first know the writer and what they were going through at that moment in time, and that is what influenced their idea. Now, let's take this one step further so we can begin to see how this is impacting Christianity. According to Derrida, since meaning in life does not come from God and it comes from people, then in order to be fully human, you had to come out from underneath the false narrative that has been placed on your life. You had to deconstruct. You had to break free from the imposed constructs that has been placed on you and embrace your humanity and find and determine meaning for yourself. Do we, do we see where this could be a pact in Christianity? Now, in the book, Is There Meaning in the Text?, Um, author and writer uh, Kevin Van Hooser, he gives this quote, and I think this quote is absolutely amazing when trying to help us understand this concept. He says, and I quote, the motive behind Derrida's strategy of undoing or deconstruction stems from his alarm over illegitimate appeals to authority and exercises of power. The belief that one has, has reached the single correct meaning, or God, or truth, provides a wonderful excuse for damning those whom one disagrees as either fools or heretics. Neither priests who supposedly speak for God, nor philosophers who supposedly speak for reason, should be trusted. Their claim to speak from a privileged position is a bluff that must be called or better, deconstruct it. End of quote. So how is this impacting Christianity? In order to understand that, we need to first understand the basic claims of Christianity. Christianity teaches that the Bible is a divinely inspired ancient writing. Derrida encourages anyone to challenge the meaning to any ancient writing. Christianity teaches that the Bible is the infallible, inspired, and inerrant word of God. It gives people the ultimate meaning to life. Derrida says that there is no absolute truth and meaning does not come from God, but it's just a coping mechanism put in by people to deal with difficult times. Derrida also says that in order to be fully alive, to be fully human, you must break free of the constructs that has been placed on your life and determine meaning for yourself. Church, is that not the same ancient strategy that Satan used in the garden? It's the same thing. In order to be fully human, fully alive, you must come out from underneath the constructs that God has placed on you. He is the one holding you back from you being fully you. If you want to see things clearly, you must break free from those constructs and determine meaning for yourself. It is the same ancient lie that has just been repackaged for another generation. 
So now why in the world would Christians ever adopt a word that comes from secular, anti-biblical and godless philosophies in order to describe a Christian struggle with faith, with the church or certain teachings of the church? Well, to understand that, we need to know how it's currently being used in the Christian culture. There are at least four different ways the term deconstruction is being used in the Christian community. Number one, deconstructing doctrines. It's the first way it's being used, deconstructing doctrines. This is where you see people begin pulling away from historic doctrines of Christian faith, and they are saying that they must be adapted or altered in order to fit with whatever is going on in culture. This, is where, this happens a lot when you see people begin to try and dismantle biblical theologies as it relates to things like homosexuality, marriage, love, justice, or whatever prominent thing is happening within culture. In other words, when orthodox Christian doctrine is not in alignment with someone's preference or the demands of culture, what they are saying is that you need to adjust what the Bible is saying in order to fit with what culture is facing. This is known as deconstructing doctrines. The second way it's being used is called deconstructing Christianity. Deconstructing Christianity or deconversion. Now listen, when you begin to deconstruct doctrine, it's not long before you begin to deconstruct Christianity. Some people, (coughs) excuse me, some people who formerly professed an an evangelic faith would use deconstruction as a way to describe their exit or departure from Christianity altogether. This group would put uh, deconstruction and deconversion together in the same circle. Deconstruction is a process And deconversion is often the result that ends on the other side of that process. And if you're here today and you're thinking, okay, this doesn't sound like a big deal, believe me, it's a lot bigger deal than what you think. In fact, earlier I wrote down a few names of some very influential people in the Christian community who have deconstructed and walked away. You might recognize some of these names, people like Joshua Harris, who was a former pastor and he was a huge author of some major Christian books about dating. Uh, the megachurch pastor, Dave Gass. Paul Maxwell, who was one of the writers of the famous book, Desiring God. Kevin Max from the Christian band, DC Talk. And of course, Hawk Nelson's John Steingard. These and many others would place themselves in this category. They would say that what their idea and what their understanding is of being a Christian, they are no longer a part of. They have deconstructed Christianity, and as a result of that, They have deconverted. Now, the third way it's being used. The third way is deconstructing negative influences to protect historic Christianity. There is a small group of evangelicals who use deconstruction in this way. They would say that it is their attempt to protect historic Christianity and its practices from the negative cultural influences. In, in the podcast, The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, uh, the megachurch Mars Hill, if you're familiar with that story and what happened to that church, in that podcast, the final episode, Paul Tripp says, and I quote, 
we should all be deconstructing our faith. We better do some deconstructing or we're going to find ourselves again and again in these sad places. He is, of course, referring to what what happened within the church, the cultural influences that took place in the church, which led to the end of that body at that time. Now, in the full context, in the full quote, Paul Tripp, when he says we need to reject, he's not saying we need to reject Orthodox Christian doctrine. What he is saying is we need to reject anything from the outside that could be trying to redefine or harm Christianity in an unbiblical way. Now, the fourth way this is being used, the fourth way is deconstructing non-Christian beliefs to discover historic Christianity. Deconstructing non-Christian beliefs to discover historic Christianity. This can also be known as a crisis of faith. I think a person who fits this final category really well is a man by the name of Francis Schaeffer. Francis Schaeffer, in 1951, he packed up his family and they moved to Sweden to start a new mission. During this process, he faced a spiritual crisis as he began to contrast and study in the New Testament what is said about Christian love and Christian truth. He contrasted that with the faith background that he had been a part of for so many years. A faith background that he described as very angry, very skeptical, very separatistic, legalistic, and very works-based righteousness. He said as he viewed the two, he read scripture and he compared it to what he had been a part of. He said the two were so different, he began to question Christianity altogether. He, he, and, and I quote, he said, I am torn to pieces by the lack of reality between the two. So over the next several months, he describes the process of dismantling his entire belief system, taking off every piece. Then he described the process of going back through and assembling what he could only find in the word of God. As apart from the traditions of the church and the traditions of culture. Francis Schaeffer then emerged with a greater confidence in the teachings of the gospel and a confidence that Christian love and Christian truth are inseparable. Now, the person between uh, point number three and point number four, the difference there comes down to this idea of a crisis of faith. The person in point number three did not experience a crisis of faith. They were just bothered that cultural influences was interfering with historic Christianity. But the person in point number four was dealing with a crisis of faith, meaning that when they read scripture and they compared it to what they have experienced, the two were so radically different, they didn't know what to believe. But broadly speaking, the first two usages are considered to be negative. The second two usages are considered to be a positive thing. So now this leads us to the question, how did we get to this point? How how did Christians ever come to this point? How did we get to the point? What are some of the issues that is causing thousands of Christians to question their faith? Thousands of Christians are leaving the church, causing thousands to question, are these doctrines even real? Now, I'm going to share a number of of things that are involved. And please note that there could be a whole lot more than what I'm going to share. All right, but I think these five are some pretty big ones that I believe encapsulate, encapsulates a lot of major subjects. 
So here's the first issue. Christians are rarely trained in apologetics, critical thinking skills, and how to work through doubts and hard questions. Christians are rarely trained in apologetics. Apologetics is a a study, it's a defense of the faith. Apologetics helps someone know why they believe what they believe and the ability to articulate what they believe. And so when, when Christians are asked questions about their faith that they don't know how to answer, what that does, that opens up an area for the enemy to come in and exploit. And because they don't know how to defend their faith, they begin to question if they really believe what they say they believe. And as a result, many have been walking away because they don't know how to defend the faith they once professed to believe in. Here's the second issue. Many Christians have become weary or disillusioned with the version of Christianity they've encountered that is not historically biblical. For the person that was taught works-based righteousness, legalism, trying to reach a standard that you're never going to be able to reach, they eventually get weary in the process and walk away. For the person that has seen abuses in the church, they've seen unforgiveness in the church, they've seen hypocrisy in the church, they've seen judgmentalism in the church, they've seen gossip, backbiting, slander in the church, eventually they become disillusioned with the church when they see how few Christians really want to live out the teachings of Jesus, when they see how few Christians really care about a lost and dying world, they get upset, and rightfully so. Sin, when it enters the church, it can cause disillusionment, discouragement, and for many people, it can lead to a deconstruction of their faith. Because eventually they say, I am tired of the games. Eventually they say, if this is what Christianity looks like, then I want nothing to do with it. Which leads us to the third issue. There is a lack of discipleship in the church and an emphasis on attractional services that create consumer-minded Christians. Far too often, people are coming to church to be entertained And they are not being discipled once they get there. Christians are encouraged many times through attractional models to come and just sit as opposed to die to self and follow Jesus. Listen, church, a mature disciple cannot exist on a diet of how can the church make you happy. A mature Christian needs a steady diet of the gospel that saves and sanctifies. Mature Christians need to be taught the necessity of prayer and the necessity of serving others. Mature Christians, mature disciples are the ones who are heeding the call of Jesus to die to self and follow him. When the focus is off in the church, the product is going to be off in the church. We cannot attract people through the doors by saying it's all about you and then get upset when they don't understand us when we say it's all about Jesus. What it takes to catch them is what it's going to take to keep them. The fourth issue. 
unbelievers who claim to be Christians are revealing by their actions that they were never Christians. This is where cultural Christianity comes in. Cultural Christianity may have been one of the greatest threats to Christianity for so many years. If you are unfamiliar with what that is, for 25, 35 plus years ago, going to church was the respectable thing to do. Attending church was the respectable thing to do. That's where you would see your neighbors, your coworkers, your barber, your banker. If you wanted to be a good person, culture told you, you just need to go to church. However, cultural Christianity created a mindset that was neither biblical nor Christian. Someone could loosely align with the morals of Christianity while still holding fast to the desires of the flesh. Many of those who are defecting from the faith today, some of them were never really a part of the faith. They simply attended. They were simply a part of, but they never made Jesus the Lord of their life. 1 John chapter 2, verse 19 says, these people left our churches, but they never really belonged with us. Otherwise, they would have stayed with us. When they left, it proved that they did not belong with us. Number five, the fifth issue, the inconsistent lives of Christian parents who profess Christ but live like functional atheists. Over 80% of kids who grow up in the church, they were there Sunday morning, Sunday school, for service, they were there Sunday nights, small groups, small groups. Uh, they, they were there for camps, for conferences. Over 80% of kids who grew up in the church, after high school, they leave the church. Over 80%. George Barna, he did a survey trying to figure out what was the cause of this. So he surveyed teenagers who had graduated high school and left the church he tried to survey them to, to figure out what are some of the reasons. And the number one answer that was given, the number one thing that was said was this. God has never been real to my parents. They didn't say my parents didn't believe in God. They said God had never been real to my parents. This means that these kids grew up in a home with parents who professed one thing but lived something else. Parents who said they believe in God but live as if he doesn't exist. There's another term for that. It's called functional atheist. That means you believe in God but live as if he doesn't exist at all. This means that their belief in God did not, uh, it did not impact their schedule, did not impact their finances, did not impact the home, it did not impact their attitudes. And after 18, 19, 20 years of seeing this modeled in the home, it leads to the exit for these kids. It leads to them walking out the doors. He said it breaks his heart, but it, it, he, he's never, it never ceases to amaze him at the parents who live this way, model this kind of behavior. Yet somehow they act surprised that their kids are walking out of the church. These are just a few of the issues. So now the question is, what is the response? What is the response to this? 
Well, church, something I want us to see today. We respond the same way biblical faithful Christians have responded for over 2,000 years. These issues we've been talking about, they're not new. All right, for over 2,000 years, Christians, many of them have dealt with a crisis of faith. For over 2,000 years, there has been hurt within the church. For over 2,000 years, sin and the culture had interfered with the work of the church. For over 2,000 years, people have walked away as an act of apostasy. Now, I'm not saying that justifies where we are right now. What I'm trying to say is, for over 2,000 years, these issues happen, and the Word of God still addresses every single one of them. What I want us to hear today, church, is that there are some people, some of them in this room right now, some of them watching online, there are some people that because of what they have walked through, what they have experienced, they are currently facing a disillusioning, discouraging, and disorienting moment in their life where they are just trying to keep their head above water. And the last thing they need is a Christian saying to them, if you would have just had enough faith, this would have never happened. If we're being honest, they could probably point the finger right back and say, if the body of Christ would have been acting like the body of Christ, a lot of this wouldn't be happening. But there are some things we have to be careful about how we walk people through them. So we're called to walk through it with them. We're not called as disciples to just leave them at the foot of the cross and say, hey, you found Christ, now you're on your own. We're called to disciple them, which means walking through them in the good and through the times of doubt. And so the goal, here's the goal. The goal for all of this, we have to love people back to the focus, the plan, and the objectives that has been set forth by Scripture. We have to love people back to the focus, the plan, and the objectives that has been set by Scripture. And so here are a few things that need to happen. And in these next few steps here that need to happen, they apply whether it's on an individual level or a corporate church level. All right, if you're someone who is trying to get back to the, to the focus, the plan, and the objectives of Christ, these apply. These need to happen. If you are a church, if a church as a whole has gotten off mission, some, some of these things need to happen. Or if you're someone who's trying to walk alongside someone who has wandered away from truth, these are some things that needs to happen for that person. The first thing, repentance. Repentance. When sin is present, repentance is necessary. Whether you're talking about this on an individual level or a corporate church level, there are areas where people have placed preference over Scripture. Personalities over mission, comfort over God's call, following the flesh instead of the spirit. Things like this has led to, to uh, a disillusion and sin within the body of Christ. And the only proper response when confronted with sin is immediate repentance. Acts chapter 19, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 3, verse 19 says, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. When sin is present, repentance is necessary. Number two, realignment needs to happen. Much of the problems in the church are contributed to the church not being the church. There needs to be a missional realignment back to the priorities of God. 
We need to realign with his mission to make disciples of all nations. In Matthew chapter 28, he says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. There needs to be a realignment back to the biblical priorities of the church to equip the saints for his work. In Ephesians chapter 4, he says, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. There needs to be a realignment back to being known for our love for one another. John chapter 13, Jesus says, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so must you love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And there needs to be a realignment back to living out the teachings of Jesus in community with other believers as found in Acts chapter 2. Verse 46 of chapter 2 says, Every day they continued to meet together. In the temple courts they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Number three, restoration. As much as possible, we should seek to restore struggling believers back to the beauty of the gospel. Galatians chapter 6 verse 1 says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. James chapter 5 speaks of bringing the one back who is wandering away from truth. And 1 Timothy chapter 5 speaks of rebuking those who persist in sin. I bring both of those up because there are some people who are wandering away from truth because they don't know what they don't know. And there are people who are wandering away from truth because they know what truth is and they are choosing to reject it. But in any and every circumstance, we are to approach it with grace and truth. John chapter 1 tells us that's who Jesus is. He is full of grace and truth. That is, he sets the ultimate example. He sets the ultimate example. And if he does it, we should too live as being full of grace and truth, approaching every situation in that manner. Number four, revival needs to happen. Revival. Psalms 51 verse 10 says, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Isaiah 57 tells us that God will revive the spirit of the lowly and revive the heart of the contrite. When revival happens, it addresses the issues we talked about. When revival happens, sin is confronted. Number five, this is so important, re-engagement. Re-engagement needs to happen. Many of the issues that we are seeing can often be the result of individual Christians or churches as a whole getting away from the mission to make disciples. We cannot focus on the world's pleasures, the world's values, the world's treasures, and yet at the same time be committed to the mission of Christ. We are called to make disciples. We are called to intimacy with Christ on an individual level as well as the level of our entire church. And if we are not engaging, and if we are walking with people and there is no re-engagement happening, 
how's the world going to know about the love of Christ? Romans chapter 10 says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one that they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard of? And how can they hear with, without someone preaching to them? How can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. Church, we have a world who needs to know about Jesus. A world that is trying to decide truth and meaning for themselves. And they are lost. They need to know about Jesus. We have a message that saves souls. We have a message that redeems lives. We have a message that gives hope. It gives people the opportunity for a future. We have got to love people back to the focus, the plan, and the objectives that Christ has set for us in Scripture. No, it wasn't too long after high school that because of disillusionment within the church, because of hurt within the church, because of many different things I could name, I went through a season of life where I wanted nothing to do with the church. I, I still wanted to believe in God, but I wanted nothing to do with the church. It felt like after high school, it felt like some blinders were taken off my eyes and I started to see all of the issues that were in front of me. And as a result of that, I said, I want nothing to do with this. But by the grace of God, whose mercies are new in my life every day, God sent people into my life. People who did not write me off because of what I believed about the church. People who did not say, oh, you're just trying to define meaning for yourself. Okay, that's just you. People who wanted to take the time. Do you know what they did to me or for me? They loved me back to the focus, the plan, and the objectives that are set by Christ in Scripture. They said, let me come along beside you. Church, for the longest time, I kept praying to God. I still believed in him. I just didn't believe in the church. I kept praying, God, would you just show up? Would you just show up in my life? God, I know I am not where I need to be. Would you just make yourself known? And guess how God showed up? Just like he often does through his people. That is often how God works. Through his people. A lot of times we want to say, man, our, our city's lost. My neighbors don't know the Lord. My, 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 my friends and family don't know the Lord. Man, God, why don't you just do something? And God would probably say to you, I did. I created you. I gave you the call. I gave you the mission to love people back to the grace of and the beauty of the gospel. I don't know where I would be in my life if it wasn't for some amazing people coming alongside of me. But do you know what that tells me? That tells me two things. That tells me I am never too far gone from the love of Christ, from the grace of Christ, from being loved back into the plan, the focus, and the objectives of Christ. But it also tells me just like they were there for me, church, we have a job to do. We have a call 
to make disciples of all nations. And that means loving people in the good times and even when they're experiencing doubt. So church, if if you are in here today, I want to make it known, if you're in here today and you are going through questions, you have doubts, you have doubts about Christ, doubts about the Bible, can I tell you one thing? You're in the right place. Because there are some great people in this church who want to walk alongside you and love you back to the focus, the plan, and the objectives that Christ has for you. And if that's you, I encourage you to find an elder or one of the staff, one of the ministers, and we will walk alongside you and help you through this time. We will not write you off. One of the ways that I realign with the mission and the focus of Christ is through communion. I love how communion connects us to whatever we're talking about. If you do not have communion elements, there are some in the back. But as we take out the bread, we remember the body that was broken for us. And that is the beauty of the gospel. He was broken. He took the weight of our sins so we wouldn't have to. That is the beauty of the gospel that we get to share with others. That we are called to take into the world that is confused and trying to find truth for themselves. And let's partake of the bread together. And as we now remember the blood of the new covenant, we remember what God's plan was for his son. And I'm thankful. And I'm so thankful for that plan because that means we do not have to endure what he went through. Taking the sins of the world upon him. Showing us how far his grace is willing to go to call us his child. It's a beautiful thing that we get to remember in this moment as we partake together. If you have questions of doubt, I encourage you to fill out a Connect card. There there might be a QR code that appears on the screen or there's some stickers on the back or you can fill one out at the hub because there's a box on there that says, I would like to talk to a minister. I encourage you to do that. We would love to help you take your next next step towards Christ. And if you're joining us today and you're new with us, I encourage you to fill out that card so we can connect with you, help you figure out what your next best step is towards Christ. Because we just want to make that connection. We hope you have enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, talk to, or maybe you just want more information about our church, be sure to fill out a connect card so we can reach out and help you take your next best step. Thanks again for joining, and we will see you back here next time.